when I was like four or something, I wasn't really that person that liked to play with toys. I liked to play with car toys and that was technically it. But I was the one that liked to play on electronics. Like I liked to play video games. Like that's just how I was made. When I saw YouTube, I really liked watching it and I'm like, how cool would it be watching my own videos if I had my own YouTube channel? I just thought I was literally faking that that can never happen. But uh, when I was eight, last year, I was like, this could happen. Hi guys, welcome to my channel, I guess. Hi everybody and welcome back to another video and today, here's my first you, if you guys haven't watched Welcome to My Channel, please go watch it, because then you'll know who this guy is. I know somebody that can do a wheelie for 10 seconds, but too bad he can't come out and play right now. See you in the next one. Peace. Yeah, it's like freedom. Because you have no limit. You're in control of what you do. Just wanted to be a YouTuber, and that's what happened. Awkward pause. <laughs> Bye. Uh, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Kessid. My name's Danny. I want to welcome you. Thanks for being here today. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, we're in a, a series right now called Visible, and we're just kind of highlighting uh, different people that, that, you know, that, are, that are in our church that they're not in great need. They're not, uh, they're not marginalized. They're just people that, that are, are, are visible, but maybe not seen very often. And uh, this is Carson, Carson Crouch. And Carson uh, I've been in ministry with Carson his entire life. As a matter of fact, Carson was born uh, between two of my youth students that grew up and got married when I had a youth group. And he, we used, <laughs> I didn't really get into the full extent of what we used to do because his mom was in the last service. I don't think she is this one, right? Just his dad. So Jared, uh, his dad and I, we used to set him when he just learned to walk on my big desk. And then we'd take Mike and Ike's and then we would try to, we would feed him like a chicken the Mike and Ikes, but not let him fall off. So we'd feed one, and before he'd fall off, we'd throw one on the other side, and then he'd turn around and fall off. It, it, yeah, you get the idea. It wasn't very safe, but when you're youth pastors, you get bored. So it was just... Uh, but this kid, I've been around him a long time. He's nine years old. He's in fourth grade. And Carson uh, had a dream just a while back to be a YouTuber. And so uh, his dream originally was 10 followers, and he busted through that goal. And so I heard a few weeks back that his new goal is 30 followers. And so before I get into my message any further, I shared it both services, and now I'm going to share this one. Um, if you would be so kind, if you are a YouTube person, to go on YouTube and to follow Carson Crouch. This is his channel name. Uh, and uh, and we're, we, we think he might be able to break 30 followers here soon. Uh, we're also going to share his video on Facebook, and we'd love for it to be the most shared video uh, that, uh, that, we've, that we've ever had because, we, again, we'd like to get other people out following and doing what he's doing. But uh, Carson is, a, is a really, just a really special 
uh, guy, and uh, he, I think he sets up really well what I want to talk about. Before I transition completely out of Carson, I want to thank uh, Woodruff Laputka. Woodruff's in the back, and Woodruff makes all these videos that he's made for us, and I don't know if you've seen, but Woodruff is uh, moving to L.A., to uh, go do famous video things uh, because he he's a little he's a little overskilled for us here so uh, uh, and so I just want to thank him he's in the back and uh, this is this is one of his last Sundays and uh, but share that video share that video get it out there and I'm I'm super excited because I got an update like just a few minutes after nine o'clock that he had texted his mom and said I'm up I'm up to fourteen. You know, like, like I'm halfway to 30. So, so uh, we're going to post the video today right after church. So share, go and like. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think, I think it's just going to be a blast to make his, his 30, uh, 30 follower dream come true. Um, okay, so when it comes to visible, perhaps no group is more visible yet so often unseen. I think we can all agree than our kids. Uh, we have about 140 to 150 kids that come through this particular church um, every single weekend. And I think as adults, we can all admit that if we're not careful, they can come screaming through the audience. And other than making sure they're safe, we don't really pay that much attention. If Carson was to come running through the audience or even sitting down working on his Minecraft, uh, I don't know if many of us would have the time nor even the desire to really stop and say, hey, Carson, what projects are you working on right now? What's going on in your nine-year-old life? How's fourth grade? I, I just don't think we think that way. Uh, we, we want our kids to be safe and we want our kids to be nurtured, obviously, but but I don't know if they are a, a seen portion of, uh, of our community nearly as much as they should be. And yet, if we think about it, both in strength and weakness, kids are an extension of our design. They're an extension of our physical, our emotional design. Uh, the thing about Carson that trips a lot of people out is he's basically a very small version, a very small, tall version of Jared, his dad. Um, Jared's a video gamer. Jared uh, talks like that, thinks like that. Uh, Jared, that is Jared. I mean, that's that just who it is. And Carson is an extension of that. All of our kids, both strength and weakness, uh, so often are an extension of us. And not just biological kids, kids we've adopted, kids we've raised, grandkids, kids we've kind of taken into our, into our worlds. When we pour our lives into another person, very often they take on the attributes of our lives. We know this from Christ as he poured into people and they took on the attributes of him because that's how relationship works. So much of our hope, therefore, lies within these kids. Our hope, our hope that they break the chains of things in our lives that maybe were passed to them that we weren't able to break, or our hope of uh, a legacy that we hope they create that maybe we started or, or, or maybe we hope that they start. We hope, and I've said to my kids this many times, that they are better versions of us in every way or at least we should. And this is, in a sense, how it should be. Psalm 127, three through five says this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. Proverbs 17, six. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And the glory of children is their fathers. We spend time with our kids. We invest in our kids. And then uh, we, we send our kids. And then so often we watch to see how we did as parents based on how they end up living. And we watch and we watch and we watch. And sometimes we're happy. And sometimes we're a little sad. I think this in some part is the fault of the church. 
I think in some part we have taught some really broken concepts about what it means to be a parent and what it means to raise children. And I think in some ways that's why when kids come screaming through our hallway, we don't really see them for who they are. We see them for how they're behaving. Oh, just got real in here right now, didn't it? Bunch of people just went, oh, time to put down my phone and stop texting. We see how they're behaving more importantly than we see how they are. That's because we as a church have taught people that good parents equal good children, and so therefore bad parents equal bad children. Therefore, if you see my child behaving badly, you probably think I'm a bad parent, and then a bad person, or in my case, a bad pastor, or a bad whatever it is that you do. And I think this is not true. I actually don't think good parents equal good children, but I do think bad parents equal bad children. Now, you may say, how can one be true and not the other? Thanks for asking. <laughs> Let me explain. I have raised now two drivers in my house, two, two of my children. My, my oldest is 22. My uh, second oldest just turned 18. And now I have a 13-year-old coming up on 14, so I've got one more person to put through driving school and, and how to be on the road. And let's just say that if one of my kids, and this is just an illustration, if one of my kids decided that they were going to be a, um, a lifestyle conscious, cautious-based driver, they were going to be cautious in everything they did. And at the end of my tutelage, and at the end of Aaron's tutelage, and at the end of the driving school's tutelage, they said, Dad, I've seen the rules of the road. I understand how it works. And I've made a commitment based on my own decisions that I'm going to follow those rules and I'm going to live my life driving cautiously from now on. Would any person in this room sit with my daughter or my son and then say to either one of them, because you've decided to base your life on cautious driving, I guarantee you, you will never get in an accident and you will never get a ticket because you've based your life on cautious driving. No, because we've all seen what's out there on the road, right? There's different situations and circumstances. I have, I, I have all kinds of little weird tweaks about driving. One of them is uh, I, I've gotten a wreck one time after like six weeks of solid sun and the first rain came. And I don't know if you've ever driven around here, especially on the country roads with first rain, because it's a little slicker than normal when you get first rain. And I now, my daughter now knows, I'm like, if it's raining and it's been sunny for weeks, she's like, I know, first rain. Because I'm like, it's going to be slicker than normal because I got in a wreck one time. Now, there are situations that happen, and just because you commit to being cautious does not mean you will never get in an accident and ever get a ticket. Nor does it mean if you were an incredibly good parent that you're going to have kids that just turn out perfect. Because life happens. Now, if one of my kids came to me and said, Father, because that's how my kids speak to me in incredible respect. <laughs> do you have a moment to speak to me? It's like, <laughs> do you have time to, to dialogue about our relationship? And I say, yes, I do. Uh, and they say, I've looked at all the rules, and I've looked at all the regulations, and I've decided I'm going to throw caution to the wind and drive reckless the rest of my life. Everywhere I go, I'm going to go as fast as I possibly can. I'm going to pull my e-brake and slide sideways around corners to impress whomever I'm in, in the car with. And I'm going to speed as fast as my car will allow me to go. Would anyone in the room have a problem saying, then you're going to get in wrecks and have accidents? You're going to get in wrecks and have accidents. See, if you abuse children, if you, if you are condescending, if you are belittling, if you take time to really set them up for failure, yes, they will fail. 
There is a responsibility in that. But if you do everything you can to protect your child and set them up for success and send them out into the world with all the skills and abilities you possibly could muster, they still may fail. But they'll have a lot better chance and a lot less of it. Now, this is an important thing to realize because of its spiritual principle, not because Danny decided to give everybody a parenting lesson. Because trust me, I have figured nothing out. What I do know is that everything I shared, everything I shared is really based on two spiritual principles, and that is the idea of rules versus values. Rules versus values. If you really want to break it down simply, uh, it looks like this. Rules are enforced. They're set out. They're guidelines. They're descriptive. And they're what you do if you don't want to get in trouble. But values, values are encouraged. They're watched. They're seen. They're walked alongside. And they are absorbed. As people, most of us experience consequences callously, but we value what is attractive to us. That's why in the Old Testament, it's a whole bunch of rules. And a lot of times when we read the Old Testament, you'll hear people go, well, that's the Old Testament. It's because it's hard to hear some of the guidelines that God put in place to build his people from the ground up, especially when they were coming out of Egypt. Everyone hears the Ten Commandments and all these guidelines without realizing that these people were generations and generations and generations of slaves. They had no governing structure or, or compass whatsoever of relationship. So God came in and gave them a foundation. Here's the 10 things you can do in order to survive with one another and not kill each other. Don't sleep with each other's wives. Mm, mm. I don't know about that. <laughs> don't steal what's not yours. Ooh, this is getting really restrictive around here. I can't sleep with anybody that I'm not married to. I can't steal anything. Don't murder. What kind of nation is this? Right? <laughs> the idea was simple. These are rules that you need because your life is chaos. And then as the rules were enforced, and you saw a lot of that in the Old Testament, then the structures of society begin to be in place, and then people begin to warp the rules to their own broken benefit and say, oh, you've done that. That'll be two shekels. Oh, you've done that. That means you can't come to town anymore. Oh, you've done that. That means you have to exclude your privilege to this such and such thing. So people who got really good at living by the rules rose, and people who weren't so good at living by the rules, rules fail. And next thing you know, the world is back in chaos. So what happens? Jesus comes. He doesn't break all the rules. He fulfills all the rules. He accomplishes everything that needs to be accomplished. And then he says, now here's the thing. I want to teach you the values behind the rules. Do you know why you don't sleep with your friend's wife? Do you know why you don't murder somebody? Do you know why you don't steal? He started sharing with them values. And not through more rules, more text, more black and white on papyrus. Right here you go. He instead said, watch me. Because rules are only transferred via relationship. If I'm sorry, rules are transferred through explanation and execution. Let's put it up there. Explanation and execution. And values get transferred only via relationship. It's the only way you can do it. It's doing what Christ did. And he did it all the time. Think about that for a second. When I say stuff like Christ did it all the time, stop and go, okay, so he only, 
He loved people through showing them. He loved people through sharing with them. He loved people through, through relationship. As a matter of fact, you could say, and I'll put it on the screen, that Jesus never demands that someone get right before he loves them. Rules demand you get right before you love them. Relationship does not. Rules say you do this, you do this, you do this. And once you reach a certain level at this certain age, and they're appropriate. Rule, I'm not here to throw out rules, by the way. All my rule lovers in the house. Okay, I, I, I get it. You got to be 16 to drive. You got to be 18 to this. You got to be 21. I think those are all wonderful rules. But relationship says, do you understand the principle behind why? And that's what Jesus came to do. He never demanded that someone get right before he loved them. He came alongside them as they were and as they are, and he shared himself with them. He valued them, and then they valued what he thought. This is a massive Christian truth. If you want to pull something into your parenting lifestyle, one thing out of this sermon, value your children, and they will value what you think. If you don't value your children, and I'm not perfect at this, I continue to try to say that, if you don't value your children, then why would they want to value what you think about how they should behave? And why are you only measuring behavior in the first place? As if somehow you were a perfect teenager. <laughs> mm. Yeah, think about that for a second. But you want better for them. And Jesus wants better for you. And so he comes alongside you and he shares himself with you right where you're at. The writers in Romans thought this entire concept was so incredible and so uh, the antithesis of what they were, they were used to that had come out of that Old Testament time. Because remember, Jesus came and was transforming everything into a new way of thinking. They said this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? They picked up on this concept that if God wants to transfer values through relationship, that means he's for us. He's on our side. He's not sitting back going, fail, pass, fail, mm, come back next year. Fail, pass. God is for us? The God of the universe, the God of the creation, God is for me. If God is for me, then who could possibly be against me? My life is going to be awesome. Shouldn't that be what your kids say? Shouldn't they look at you as parents and you as grandparents and go, wait a minute, I've got grandparents that have never turned their back on me. I've got parents that have stuck with me even through some really, really ugly stuff. Do you know what I just realized? This is profound. I'm going to tell my friend Aaron. Aaron, guess what? I have parents who love me no matter what I'm dealing with. And that means even if I mess up, they're still going to be there, Aaron. And then Aaron would say, I want to meet these parents. And then maybe Aaron would absorb some of those values. And then maybe he would share that with his kids. And suddenly everybody would start realizing that everybody else who acts like God is full of love and compassion and kindness, and suddenly the values of God would begin to take hold versus saying you shouldn't sin like that. And if you do, as a matter of fact, if you sin just two steps further, no Christmas for you, at our house anyways. <laughs> and you think I'm joking. I had a conversation with somebody who was deciding whether their child, because of their choice of lifestyle, should be at Christmas. Fair enough. I'm going to be honest. Based on what they told me, it was a hard decision. I was like, ah, there's a line, and I don't know, and I don't, what does that do? What does that say to my other kids? See, that's another argument. It's a profound one. You have a child that you raise that you now accept that you've not raised perfectly. 
but you've raised not abusively and not brokenly, just not perfectly. And that child that you raised as well as you could decides to live an entirely different lifestyle than you, a different belief system than you, different everything than you. So then you look at your other kids and you do what we've been taught in church to do, which is protect. We have taught our kids and our church families to protect their kids and remove all risk of anything in this world, of any kind of contamination for so long that we have become like sterile spiritual people without any kind of antibodies. Right? I mean, we can't, we can't even be kind of around sin, let alone know it exists in the other room. How could you come to Christmas? How could you even celebrate Christ's birthday with the way you live your life? <laughs> it's his birthday. Right? You're disgusting. Why would you want your disgust to come to his birthday party, contaminate everybody else's Christmas? Well, here's my question. I just got a question, because I told you earlier, I don't believe that perfect parents raise perfect kids, but I do believe broken parents create broken kids. Here's my question. First off, how many people in the room believe, with a show of hands, and I do believe this, that God is perfect? According to the Bible, God is perfect. He's holy. He's complete, okay? This is some of the big basis of Christianity. Psalm 18.30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. And if you didn't know, if you went a little further, the, word, the Lord's word is flawless, Okay? So we believe God is perfect, and so here's my profound question, and I don't mean this in a facetious way. I mean this for you to really ponder. I don't believe perfect parents produce perfect kids, but I do believe broken parents produce broken kids. How's God, who is perfect, doing as a parent? How's he doing? He's perfect. He's the best mother or father there ever has been. If you look around this world, how's his kids? How are they doing? Anybody? No, no, not so good, right? They, they struggle a little bit. And he's flawless and perfect. Matter of fact, shrink it all the way back down to when God only had a son and a daughter in a garden. And he spent time with them all the time, walking in the garden, walking, spending time. He had all knowledge. When they asked things, he could make them appear. When they had an owie, he could just heal it. Imagine, I mean, this is no kiss on your boo-boo. This is done. I mean, this is epic kind of parenting here. How'd those two kids turn out? Not so good. Now, here's another wonderful question. Back to, what do we do with our child coming to Christmas? going to influence our other children. What do we do with that child who's ill-behaved? Because people might think that I'm not the epic parent I think I might be. Here's the other question. God stuck his kids in the garden, right? Then in the garden, he stuck a tree. And he said, like all parents, you can do anything else you want, but like all parents do, don't touch it. That's what he said. Then he put no barbed wire around it, no alarm system, no accountability group, no church steeple, no pastors, no elders, no scripture, no fences at all. He just said, don't touch it. Spend time with me. Have relationship with me. Don't, don't touch it. Don't touch it. It's hot. <laughs> How many have been there with a two-year-old in the fireplace? Yeah, it's hot. It's hot. Okay. It's hot. And what happens? They touch it. And sin enters life. And then what does God do? Run away, close heaven, and say, well, done. No Christmas for you. <laughs> it's my son's birthday. You're disgusting. He actually brings Christmas for them. Okay, Christmas is actually for them. He says, what are we going to do about this? I know. We'll throw a birthday party. <laughs> let's throw a birthday party, and let's celebrate every year that we came down for one purpose. <laughs> You're probably already ahead of me. If you're not, you need to be. 
he came down for one purpose, and that is to have relationship with those who don't deserve to have relationship. Your son probably doesn't deserve to be at Christmas. So what? Neither do you. Who deserves to be at Christmas, by the way? When did that become a thing? Who deserves to celebrate the Savior's death? Like, oh, I've lived a pretty sinless life this year. I feel like I should celebrate him forgiving me for my inability to save myself. We are people that need to realize the value that's been placed on us, the relationships that's been placed on us, and the system that God has allowed us to be in, which is to explore relationship with him so that we can explore relationship with other people. And stop taking all the dangerous stuff away from your kids. They're going to choose it anyways. Better yet, let me rephrase, they're going to have an opportunity to choose it anyways. Be a part of it. Walk in them and say, you see that over there? When I touch that, this is what happened in my life. When a friend of mine touched that, this is what happened in their life. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. But when you build fences and security systems and alarms, all you do is make people want to figure out how to break through that stuff because you're trying to keep something from them. They're going to make their own choices. Do you know why God put the tree in the garden? Because he wanted his children to choose just like we want ours. To choose him. And when they didn't choose him, he stood there and he took the consequences of their poor choice. That's why this church is called Kesed. That's what the entire thing is about. The name Kesed, this is the appropriately spelled version of the word, C-H-E-S-E-D. Everyone tells me that as if I didn't know. Okay, this is how the word is spelled, Chesed. It means merciful love. I didn't spell it that way because it looks like cheesed church, and I just didn't think it was going to work. So I changed it. I have people like, I go to cheese church, it's so cool, right? I thought that was, so we changed it. With permission from a professor, we changed it. But, but the idea of this love, by the way, is not just, it's not a romantic love. It's not a, it's not a flutter, fluttery love. It's a merciful love. It's a love that you don't deserve. It's Christmas love. It's a love you don't deserve. And not only do you not deserve it, one translation says you don't even want it. You actually don't even want it. And God's like, I know you don't want this love, but come here. Sometimes I cuddle one of my daughters who's here specifically, and she's like, I hate it when you cuddle me when I don't want to be cuddled. And I'm like, but that's my favorite kind of cuddle, right? Because <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just want to do it. I just need to cuddle, right? And, and, and that's kind of that guessed feeling like God's like, I know it bothers you. I know you're getting all stiff-necked, okay? It's a verse in the Bible. Stiff-necked. I know you're getting all wobbly-headed, but the reality is I, I just, I just, I'm just going to be, I just want to be a little bit closer. I just, I just love you so much, and I want to throw a birthday party that you don't even want to come to that is there to represent the salvation of your soul if you choose for it to. We as parents need to recognize and take a minute, first off, to set down. Set down that you didn't do enough for your kids. Set it down. Okay? If you didn't live in a life that was, that was abusive and broken, and some of you have, and what you need to do is pick up that you need to ask for forgiveness because there is still a lot of parenting left. But some of us, you need to set down that you didn't do enough for your kids. And that burden of their choices that burns on you and reflects upon you and your spirituality and your person is not biblical. Now, again, if you abused and broke your kids, you need to own that, and that's a different talk for a different time. And I've done those talks before. I've never done this one, though. So I want to talk to those of you who've poured into your kids and it maybe didn't go how you thought. Then I want to also say, for some of you parents, you need to take a minute and sit down that you can do enough. 
that another soccer game or another practice or another study or another teacher is somehow going to fix and protect your child from the reality that one day they're going to make choices that disappoint you. If we can do those things, then I believe we can walk like Jesus walked because he set down that stuff. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and didn't save everybody. And he never apologized for it. He did everything he could as a parent and said, but some will not choose me. Why are you holding yourself to a different standard? Jesus also never abused anybody, never cursed anybody, never set anybody up for failure. And if that's you as a parent, you need to ask for that forgiveness. And you need to try to restore that relationship because it is only through living a life full of Christ that we can be like Christ to our children. There's three things I want to give you in closing that I find in the Bible uh, are helpful for us currently parenting children, our grandparents of children, or, and listen to this, or are in a situation where you can be an influencer of children. I, I've said this before, I like me some old people, and I always have people, they laugh, and they're like, ha but the reason I like me some old people is because I grew up in a church without very close grandparents. The ones I was close to, my great-grandparents died quite early. And I grew up in a church of grandparents that just took me on as a little big-eyed kid sprinting through the hallway. I was Carson. I was these kids. And they loved me, and they, they cared for me, and they spoke into me, and they disciplined me. And I'm here to tell you, even if you don't have children in this church, there's children in this church. There's children in this church. And they could use your influence, and they can use your help. They can use your volunteering, frankly. I, told, I didn't even tell Pastor Keith I was going to do this, but we need help in our children's church constantly. Just people to volunteer once a month and hold babies or, or lift a table or help out. People who will actually show up because a lot of times people just, it's on the bottom of their list and it's not a big deal. Why? Because they're not seen in here. They're not visible. What if we gave Keith 50 volunteers? Said, hey, I'm here 12 times over this next year, 18 times between now and the end of next year. I can help out the next six months. Once a month for one service, I'm here it transform everything. Not for him. People think we're trying to alleviate the stress of the other volunteers, but for the kids, because they want a grandparent. They want a mother. They want a father. They want a connection. They want to see an adult who's living out those, those values that Jesus has. And so we can use you. We'd love to have you. We are a church full of babies. As a matter of fact, I need to be honest, we need to stop it just a little bit. Keith told me our, our, our nursery ratio is way, way too high. And I said, Keith, we're a baby-making church. It's just what we do. And he's like, listen, if we could just, I want everybody to have healthy marriages, but let's just take a break. Just, <laughs> let's, just, let's just take 2018 off, and then we'll get right back to it in 2019. We had five babies just through Rudin. I mean, we emailed the people from Rudin and said, is your conception rate as high as ours? Because we don't even know. What that means is like, like everybody's doing Bible studies and having babies. So some of you are like, I am getting in that Bible study. <laughs> it's the best 50 bucks I've ever paid. Right? <laughs> I'm in, right? And I, I don't know what's going on, but I know this. We love our kids and we love our, our, our older folks and we love, that God has, <laughs> we love that God has given us each other to be in relationship with. And that's what we're about. That's what we're about. But it's going to take us doing something very important. It's going to take us doing something very important. It's about recognizing that we need to make sure that no matter how important our kids are, no matter how valuable they are, that we don't raise them up to be our hope. I said earlier they're extensions of ourselves, and they are, as we are extensions of God. 
right? What you see in your kids, God sees in you. Have you ever thought about that? When you sing, when you, when you, do, when you do drama here, when you, when you sign like Aaron is, when you do these kinds of things, God's like, oh, that's me. God's a better signer than Aaron, by the way. It's really good. It's a really good signer. And he's like, but Aaron's really good, really good at it, right? And, and, and God, when, when I speak, God's like, oh, man, that's me. And God's a better signer or speaker than Danny. And when you, when you do what you do, God's like, man, that's all me. That's all extensions of me. Just like we see extensions in our kids. But I'm here to tell you right now, God never, ever, ever says anywhere in Scripture that because we are extensions of him, we become his hope. Jesus Christ is the only hope of our world. Not we, the children of God. Your children are not the hope of your world. But Jesus, if he's the hope of your world, your children will see that. But some of you have kids that aren't close to you because they can tell all your hopes and dreams lie upon them. And that is just way too much pressure. I don't want to be the hope of your world. I don't want to be the hope of your future. I don't, I wanna, I, I, I'm trying to figure out my own stuff. Jesus Christ says, I'll be the hope. God says, you're my children, but you're not my hope. God says, I'll be the hope, and I'll do it through the kind of love that only I have. Last week, I brutally tore apart 1 Corinthians 13, radically transforming some of your Bible reading forever. I had multiple people tell me uh, that uh, they'd never heard the verse read that way, and it broke their hearts. So uh, I want to redeem that because I still believe that, and I want to go on record as saying nothing I said was wrong about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a brutal verse to read between two lovers because it's, it's absolutely never going to happen, nor are you ever going to be able to. But like all scripture, when you read it in its true context, when you flip it on its head, it becomes something not just uh, brutal between two people, it becomes something beautiful between God and us. Because 1 Corinthians 13 isn't actually a verse about love between you and me, or my wife and I, or my children and I. It's a verse about love between God, from God, to me. Let's read it that way, just verses 4 through 8. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. God's love is patient and kind. God's love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. God's love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but God's love rejoices with the truth. For God's love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, because God's love never ends. This is what the verse is supposed to be sharing, that it is because of God's chesed love for you and our focus on him as our hope that we can celebrate the story of Jesus Christ and so have an unbelievably spiritually powerful love for each other and most importantly for our children. Because if we can love our children through relational value transferring love like God has for us, then there will be nowhere they want to be except in our arms and in our homes and in our churches and in our families and at our Christmases, no matter their values and the season they're walking through. So we have that choice. We have that opportunity because the children of our lives matter. They can be seen. And most importantly, they want to be where you are. They want to be a part of a community and a family where they're accepted. I'll close with a really simple story while uh, Dave and the worship team come out. Uh, I went to lunch uh, quite a while now ago with uh, Ron Hart, who's a local pastor here in town, and I asked Ron, 
uh, who had just retired. I said, hey, Ron, you've been, you retired, you finished the race, you did well. Uh, tell me, how, what was your secret to success? And I'll never forget, it was at the end of our lunch, and he was, I think he had tea, and he was just swirling tea, and he goes, the secret to my success. And I said, yeah, tell me what it was that you think made you last the distance and your church last the distance. And what do you think it was? And he said, mm, the kids. I said, the kids? And he said, yep, the kids. Every time they'd come to church, I had sweets in my pocket for the kids, little candies. Every time. Because, Danny, if you can get the kids, make them feel loved, you can reach the parents, and then you can reach the families, and Jesus can be glorified. And I sat there and he said, so you paying for this or am I? <laughs> I said, I'm going to pay for it. He goes, okay. Well, and he walked off. And I remember thinking, that's profound. The kids, church family, we're going to go after the kids. We're going to love them. We're going to serve them. But we're not going to make them our hope. For our only hope, as this song that I've asked Dave to close us with proclaims, is Jesus Christ. No matter your story, no matter where you come from, he is the only one that can make all the difference in your heart, in your hands, and in your homes. It's only him. It's only ever been him. And so we're going to sing about him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to just, just kind of get new perspective on what it means to be family to be a church family, to, be a, to have a home family, to be a grandparent, to be a single person with influence over other people's lives. Lord, I ask that whatever uh, situation anyone's in when it comes to these things, they would recognize that it is not hopeless because of you, that you are the reason that we get to be here now singing and proclaiming your worth because you have valued us, God. You have brought relationship to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so because of that, there is hope. We lift up every family in this room. We lift up the sons and daughters who aren't here and present. We lift up the homes that you're rebuilding, the marriages that you're restoring. We lift up the hearts that you are rebuilding. We proclaim you worthy of our song. We sing to you now. In Jesus' name. I'm no stranger 
Yes, Lord, he picked me up and he showed me what it means. 